0: You're listening to Episode 1 of Speaking with Deacon, Go and Make Disciples. Speaking with Deacon is a production of the Perusia Podcast Network, in partnership with Voice of Charity Australia and EWTN Asia-Pacific. Join us as we discuss strategies that will empower us to announce the Gospel of the Lord daily through our words and deeds. This is Speaking with Deacon. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Speaking with Deacon. I'm Mark Griffin, your host, and joining me today and throughout this series is Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Deacon Harold, thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, it's great to be with you, Mark. Uh, I'm so glad that we're doing this series.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it too. Um, there's, there's so much in our, in our Catholic world today and in, in, in our families and in our faith that That we really have to work on the the world feels like it's against us sometimes and and it really is a struggle so hopefully in this series we'll be discussing the various ways that that we can go and announce the gospel which is the great commissioning we get at the end of every mass that we go and announce the gospel of the lord to the world and we need to do this daily through our words and deeds so like i said at the end of mass this is our great commissioning and the priest or deacon will dismiss us by saying go in peace glorifying the lord by your life or go and announce the gospel of the lord now there are only a few times when we actually hear from the deacon during a mass so can you first of all start by letting us know why this is one of the times we hear from the deacon and, and dig a little bit deeper into this instruction and, and unpack
1: exactly what we're being commanded to do with this instruction yeah sure so uh, the deacon at mass represents the people all right so you have The the priest that acts in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ, the head, um, and then you have the deacon who represents the people of God, uh, the the church, at the altar of sacrifice. And so even the vestments signify that. So the priest wears a chasuble, which is um, uh, Latin for little house, uh, which was a tuxedo that was worn by, you know, like Caesar, And, and, and people in leadership wore uh, what we call a chasuble, they didn't call it that, but we call it a chasuble. But that was like the tuxedo uh, of the ancient world, and the person who served the king uh, was the uh, was where wears a dalmatic is what the deacon wears at mass. Um, and so the one who serves the king, because again we are yeah we're Christ's brothers and sisters, we also are called to serve and honor our Lord and Savior as well. So at the mass, that's in the person, the deacon. Now, the deacon does certain things at mass. First of all, he gives instruction, right? Um, uh, because he comes forth from the people. He represents them at the altar. And so when the people need direction or uh, like the prayers of the faithful is done by the deacon, because the deacon who comes from the people is ordained to serve them, makes the prayers of the people known. Uh, uh, so that so that people, it makes the intercessions known so that they can be prayed for by the entire people of God. And the deacon, of course, also reads the gospel, which is, you know, uh, speaks to his ministry of evangelization. He's the minister of, of the good news. And that's why even when the Pope says mass, a deacon reads the gospel, you know, as is one of the great privileges um, that, that we get to do as deacons at mass. Of course, at the end of mass, the deacon gives the final you know, uh, commission, like you said, go and announce the gospel of the Lord, go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Why? Because by our baptism, we received a charism, each and every person as priest, prophet, and king. So the main job of a priest is to offer sacrifice. So our job is to make a sacrifice of our lives to the Lord. Um, Everything that we do is supposed to honor and glorify the Lord. By the witness of our life, by our words and actions, we honor God. And in that sacrifice, in that gift of self to the Lord is where we live our priesthood of all believers. It's not the ministerial priesthood exercised by priests and bishops. Um, It's the priesthood of all believers that we receive by baptism. The other charism we receive is prophet. And the prophet is one who speaks the word of God. And so that's what we're called to do. Everyone's called to evangelize, you know, which is why I'm glad we're starting with this topic, because I think people have the misconception that, well, that's the professionals of people like Robert Haddon, who is phenomenal. I, I think he's one of the best apologists, quite frankly, Catholic apologists in the world. Um, he's phenomenal. There'd be guys like Tim Staples and Jimmy Akin and those kinds of guys. Well, yeah, those are the professionals. no. We're not all called to, to evangelize at that level, right? But we're all called to witness the power of Christ's love um, by preaching what we believe. Um, and so when we, when the deacon says, go and announce the gospel of the Lord, the word gospel, it means evangelium in Latin, which means good news. But it meant something different when Caesar proclaimed news, when the king proclaimed proclaim news. Why? Because words from the king could change your life. So it wasn't just good news. When Caesar proclaimed, it was life-changing news because news from the king could change your life. Well, Mark, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when we proclaim news, we're not just claiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming the life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what we're every single person is called to profess the beauty of that truth and how we live and how we act. It doesn't have to be at a professional level where, you know, all the facts and figures. No, we we have to understand somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is might meet Jesus for the very first time when they meet you. That's what we're talking about here. And then finally, to tie it up, priest, prophet and king. The main job of a king is to serve, right? Jesus gives us the model. I've not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least. And in Mark's gospel is the servant of all, right? So we put all those three things together. We get to the very heart of what evangelization is truly all about.
0: Why do you think along those lines, if, if it's such a, uh, an important command and, and if this news is life changing, and if it's not changing your life, there's something wrong with you. Why do you think people are so scared to take their faith beyond the church walls? And and maybe in response to this, I, I've heard you use the analogy once before of people who treat their faith as an antique. Um, can you maybe explain a little bit what you mean by that, I and mean, why do you think it's such a challenge for people, and, and they check their faith as they leave the door of the church? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I say a couple of things, Mark. I, I say first of all. Um, but it's it's not just a matter of people don't know their faith and they don't, and part of the the, the problem is is that we teach the faith like a subject in school, mm-hmm. right? We we as Catholics, we have a tendency. I'm not. I'm, again. I'm I'm talking broadly here because I'm sure there are places that that do things differently. But in general, we 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 compartmentalize the teaching of our faith. Here's what I mean. So when you're six or you know seven years old, you do your first reconciliation. And now, again, I'm talking about in the, in the Latin right here, right? We do your first reconciliation and first communion. And then there's a gap. And then you have confirmation. Uh, or, you know, uh, and, and then there's a gap. And they have marriage prep or whatever. I mean, and then you might have a youth group, that, those kinds of things. But you have to ask yourself in that time that you're learning about Jesus, are you also falling in love with him? You see, I mean, Bishop Barron, uh, Robert Barron here in the States talks about uh, the age when someone, uh, where a young person first, they make the intellectual decision, I am no longer Catholic, is 12 years old. So basically they've left the faith before they even left their parents' house because they're not making the connection between the faith that they learn and the lived experience of that faith. Because they what's supposed to happen is supposed to learn, it's supposed to learn from their parents. The the first place we're supposed to learn is the domestic church, the church of the home, because the home is a place where they learn to fall in love with Jesus. Catholic schools and youth groups and confirmation class, those things are there to support what's going on at home, not take the place of it. But what's happened, Mark, and, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. Is that um, parents have basically outsourced their responsibility of teaching the faith. So they'll drive the kids to uh, football, they'll drive the kids to rugby, you know, they'll drive the kids to ballet class, um, but they won't go with their kids to faith formation, you know, they won't go to confirmation class. And you know, and you can't give what you don't have. If someone said, Deacon, give me, give me 10, $10, and I go into my wallet, which is usually almost always empty i I can't give you what i don't have myself so parents can't pass on to their children what the parents don't have themselves you know so what we're seeing now at least in the states we're seeing more and more parishes move toward a model of family catechesis where as the children are going through formation the parents are going through formation either in the same class or they have a separate class for parents that parallels the class that's going on for the for the young people so i think there's a couple things and i think there's Um, uh, what what I just explained, that kind of disparity between learning the faith and falling in love with Jesus. And plus, I think there's just an apathy, Mark. I think people just don't care. I mean, people know more statistics about their favorite football player um, and about their favorite team and about this rock star and all the songs in this person's music catalog, but they can't tell you the Ten Commandments. I mean, they could tell you what this song means. Well, when I was 15 or, you know, I was 21, I was going to something. Here's what that song meant to me. But they can't do the same thing when it comes to their faith in Jesus Christ. You, you know, so, there's, so there's, a, there's a disconnect there um, where they just don't care. I, I don't know how else to just put it plainly. You know, it, it, the, 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 the living of the faith is just not as important in, in the person's mind than all these other things they have going on in their life. Cause they have to compare, I have my family, I have my marriage, I have my, I have bills, I have my work. I have all these things and faith gets pushed to the bottom of that pile so many times. Um, but what, what I love about what we're doing in this podcast Mark is we're helping people to realize when you put your faith first, right? Well, your first priority is a deep, intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then every and, you, and you're looking at your life through that lens of intimate relationship with the living God, that changes your entire focus um, and, and energy and, and how uh, how you live and think about your faith, and which then um, changes how you think about your family and your work and all different aspects of your life. And, and I
0: suppose that that's where that analogy that I was speaking of of the antique comes in is that it's something that they have something that was valuable at one point. They put it on the shelf it loses value and every now and then they pick it up and they think oh what's this what do i do with this and and oh maybe i should maybe i should pay more attention to this and and for a little while like whether it be a a, a sacrament for their kids and they think oh I, I better know what i'm telling them or or what have you and and they pick it up and they they try and re-engage with their faith but then it gets put back on the shelf doesn't it
1: yeah that, that and uh that's like okay i need okay uh baptism <laughs> okay give me some sacrament right it goes back on the shelf they up, yeah. up oh, oh, we're going uh first chameleon up oh, take it off the shelf <laughs> right and then up. Oh, we need uh marriage take it off the shelf again um you know but what what we should do is take it to the antiques dealer right so yes. we take this great faith and we go to someone says what is this you know because there was a show called the antiques roadshow here in the united states where people had all these antiques and they would they did even think about them and they brought them to the antique they'll say what is this thing I'm like, my grandma gave me this like you know 50 years ago i not be sure what it is oh my goodness you don't know and they tell them the value and they tell them the whole provenance of that of that particular uh antique and now it is much more valuable than they could ever have imagined and the same thing with our faith our faith cannot be continued to be an antique that's on the shelf Right. It ha- once we bring it to that antiques dealer, right, to the person who can explain the faith, what's exactly what Perusia Media is is doing, helping people to know Jesus by understanding their faith in a much more deeper way. Once you realize, oh my goodness, my faith is actually a treasure, you will never look at that and treat it the same way again. And that's the point. Well, let's use a modern analogy, uh, Mark. You know what our faith should be like? A virus. Now we all know something about viruses, don't we? Right. But, but what do we do with our faith, Mark? We treat it like COVID. Oh, put your mask on. I don't want to catch it. Uh, you know, stay away from me. I don't want you to, but no, our faith should be able, We want everybody to catch what we got. Yes, We want everybody to We We want to be contagious with Jesus Christ and our Catholic faith. We want everybody to be infected with what we have deep, love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Yes. So so that I think that would be the modern way of looking at it now of how we should treat this beautiful faith that Jesus Christ gave us life for.
0: Absolutely. And then once you have that knowledge of what you've got, you don't need to be scared of your faith when you leave the church and you're commanded to go and share it it shouldn't even be something that you necessarily consciously have to have a tick chart. I've got to do this, 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 and this before I go back to the next mass, because it, it should be your lived experience. Shouldn't it? It should be something that
1: just comes naturally to you. Well, and, and Jesus helps us with this. That's why at mass we are fed twice. We are nourished by Christ in the word and we were fed and nourished again, body, blood, soul, divinity in the Eucharist. With filled with Christ in his word and Christ, in his sacrament, his real presence in the sacraments, we are then called to go forward and to bring that message to the world. Now, it's not about going out and necessarily, okay, the first thing I'm gonna do, I see this person at work, I'm gonna tell them all about Jesus. No, 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 no. It's by how we live and how we witness. So for example, um, uh, you're walking down the street and it's pouring rain, it's raining buckets, uh, downpour and you see this homeless person sitting on the street who's getting soaked, how about taking your, without, without making a spectacle of yourself, without making a scene, right? Take your coat off, give it to that, your, your rain jacket off, give it to that homeless person and maybe get them a, a meal and a cup of warm coffee so they can be out of the rain, you know? Stuff like, see, and you don't have to make a big show. No one has to know because why? God knows right? Jesus talked about this. The Pharisees wanted to make a big show. Look how much money I'm giving. Look at all this outward display. But what God looks at is our hearts. God, see, the only person you're trying to impress in a situation like that, because you're, 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 you, the, the reason why you responded at that way to that homeless person who you don't know, because you are witnessing to the power of Christ. You are seeing Christ in that person. You know, uh, remember when Paul uh, got knocked to the ground, the the, the, he's, the, the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Because he was persecuting the church. So when we look at our brother and sister who is suffering, who is hurt, and, and we reach out to them in love, that's evangelization, right? So something as simple as that, again, not, not going out and and memorizing the catechism and being able to explain what indulgences are, which is also very good, right? A very good thing to do. But I think showing people Jesus is more important. You know, having a kid who's away from the church, for example, and just telling that child about your relationship with Jesus Christ, not about giving them catechisms or DVDs or CDs. um, But, but to tell that person about how Christ has worked in your life, how Christ has changed your life, and to share that peace with them, I think is a a way of the Holy Spirit then being able to work in the heart of the person who hears the message.
0: Absolutely. That's beautiful. Now, obviously, it's really challenging in the world that we're in. The the world seems to have turned its back on God well and truly, but you do have a bit of an action plan um, for when it comes to, to evangelization. And I've got a copy of it right here in front of me. So let's let's take this step by step and and we'll basically work our way through and, and, and come up with a bit of a, a plan for the listeners and the ways that they can, if they're struggling with this, if they're struggling to actually share their faith and and have the courage to, to profess that they're Christian to the world, let's follow this plan and let's try and um, come up with some strategies for them. Now, step one of this plan, we've touched on it a little bit, but step one is know your faith. So can you give us a few ideas about the best ways so let's assuming that I mean we've talked a little bit about the the parents learning with their children and actually going along and doing programs with them but but let's talk specifically about the adults now when it comes to knowing your faith what are some of the best strategies resources that you could recommend to people to actually if if you've away from the faith, or you just never really knew why you did what you did, but you still faithfully did it, but without the knowledge as to why, what are some of the best ways they can
1: actually either relearn their faith or learn it for the first time? Well, here's what I recommend. Very, very simple. Keep it simple. Um, when, when I'm traveling, <clears throat> which I'm starting to do again, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm starting to travel every week again um uh you know what am i listening to as i'm waiting to get on next next plane as i'm waiting um you know in the lounge whatever you know before I board the flight a- as i'm driving in the car and I'm waiting what am i listening to am i listening to sports am i listening to political talk radio am I, what what am i doing to fill the gap that's what i call gap time those gaps those spaces in our day that we can fill with things so for example if if you're have if you have a 20 to 30 minute ride to work every day what are you listening to you know uh, uh like for example political talk radio you know a lot of people in, that i've met that listen to that they're angry all the time sure. right i don't want to be around anybody like that but what about using that 20 minutes what about saying to yourself when you're in the car you know what gosh i, I heard i i heard uh uh, my, my priest preached this past weekend about something called indulgences. Now I think that's the, that's the thing that Luther got all mad about. Right. I should probably, yeah, you know, I'm really interested to learn what that is, you know, cause the church still has them. So they can't be bad. So, you know, but I don't, if someone were to ask me, I would know, gosh, and what about listening to uh, a CD or an MP3, right? Cause a lot of cars don't have CD players anymore uh, from Prussia media that explains so as you're driving in your car, you're listening to something that's helping you draw closer to Jesus because you're knowing your faith better. It's just like falling in love. The more you get to know the person, the more you're able to say, oh, wow, you know, now I love this aspect about this person and this aspect And you, and you move deeper into relationship. It's no different with Jesus. The more we learn about our faith, about the, the great gifts that Christ has given us in his church and the connect those realities to our lived experience so it's not just about learning indulges about indulgences it would be well what does that have to do with me you see now we're getting somewhere now the faith is just not an intellectual exercise it now becomes okay how do i take what i've learned the head knowledge and have it become heart knowledge so sure. so now we're connecting the head and the heart and now we have this holistic way of looking at our faith we're not we're now knowing our faith and we're also living our faith.
0: And I think the key to that is to know it isn't just to hear it. The The first step is to hear it, to, to go and seek the information, to to learn, and then try to understand. But I think the key to that is silence. Once you've taken something on board, contemplate, not just, all right, that one's ended. Which one do I hit play on next? It's, it's a little bit more involved than that. You can't just expect it all to go in and stick. You have to listen to something, then have the silence and the space to reflect on something. And I would always recommend in this instance, time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. If there's something that you're you're working through, struggling through, whatever, do your research, do your education, but then take it to the Lord and reflect on it in his presence as well, because that to me is the key. There's so much information out there. There's too much information out there. And if you just go from this one to that one to that one and you're just looking for the next source of information are you really taking it all in or is it just overloading you you think you're doing a good thing but you're not actually giving yourself time to reflect on it to actually apply it to your own circumstance because all you've heard is the content that's being presented to you and then you've jumped to the next thing and so you've kind of missed the opportunity to dig deeper haven't you
1: No, absolutely. I think silence is one of the most underappreciated aspects of church, which is why, you know, we're going to spend an episode talking about adoration and why being silent before the Lord is so powerful, you know, because God spoke to many people in the silence. Like, for example, when the Lord came to the prophet Samuel, when Samuel was a teenager, he was in the tent with the priest Eli, and the Lord called him while he was sleeping, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel woke up because he thought Eli was calling him but it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Solomon, uh, after King David dies, Solomon becomes King of Israel as a teenager. And again, he's asleep and the Lord calls him. Joseph, uh, the Saint Joseph, all four times that the Lord called him, he was sleeping each and every time. So there's something about stillness and silence and quiet where we get away from all the distractions of the world. We're just one-on-one with our Lord and we're just heart to heart with him. Now, Let me just add this little point, Mark. Why adoration? Because you could say to yourself, well, wait a minute, Deacon, I could pray anywhere. I could pray in my house. I could pray in my car. You know, why do I have to go to adoration? Think about like this. Um, When I travel and I talk to my wife, I usually, you know, I use my phone and I usually Skype or FaceTime or something like that. But I'd rather be with her. Because isn't it always better to be in the presence of the person that you love? When you're talking to them, Absolutely. Yeah. you yes. see, and that's the difference adoration makes. You're actually in the presence of our Lord in the blessed sacrament. And you're just heart to heart with him. It's just, you know, you don't have to go to any agenda, you know, so you, as you said, Mark, you listen to what you heard on, on the beautiful presentation by one of the Parousia media, media, speakers. And ask, okay. Wow. That was beautiful. What does that now mean for me? How do I incorporate this into my life? What's blocking me? Let's be honest. What's blocking me from receiving this teaching and actually living it, which means you may have to go to confession because now that you're open, your conscience may be, you know, working, saying up, you got some things to resolve here. And if you haven't been to the sacrament of reconciliation for a long time, that your, your conscience may be spurring you to go forward. So you'd be more open to receiving more deeply, what the Lord wants to do in your life,
0: and then you're on a journey. You're you're going through the process, and one thing leads to the next, one foot in front of the other, and and it will change your life. I guarantee you, it will change your life if you you seek the faith. You then contemplate what you've what you've learned. You then take it to our Lord. It will change your life. So so that well, that's that the process
1: of how I got here. That's absolutely. why yes. I, I left a 23 year secular career, and now I've been speaking and writing full-time uh for the past nine years yes and that happened because uh, that exact process you just said mark and there's so many people that come to me and say, "Well, how are you able to do that what what how'd you able to make that decision and i told them exactly what you just said because that's the process yes. it's, it's a process of discovering right yes. discovery because remember we're pilgrims on this earth this is not our home we're just journeying in, in a long life here because ultimately our home is heaven to be with God forever. And so we, we have to discern what is God saying to me in my life right now? Um, how is God working in my life right now? We need honest honest answers to those questions. And I think adoration is the greatest place we can work it out with God, heart to heart, <laughs> you know, at, uh, Hosea chapter six, verse six says, I want a loving heart more than sacrifice knowledge of my ways more than holocaust all god wants is our hearts and the more we give ourselves to him the more the lord is able to give himself to us because we're open to receiving and and then you said it's game on it's game on because now god now god can use you for his glory beautiful
0: i love it so that's that's step one know your faith learn apologetics go to bible studies learn things like theology of the body that you might have heard of but never actually Delved into so learn these things and and equip yourself and i do
1: appreciate the plug for the perusia resources in the middle of that as well deacon thank you very much <laughs> well and not just at the conferences right Perusia puts yes. on conferences retreats there's online bible studies so that, yes. especially with the technology now there's no oh, i can't get to that conference Well, you can do it online i mean yeah, you see absolutely. it's just yeah. a matter of is you have to just be honest with yourself is this a priority for me in my life if i want my faith to be a priority then make it then it has to be important because sure. we 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 make time for those things in our lives that are important to us absolutely. so if we say our faith is important we will we will make time for it
0: yeah absolutely show that it's important do what you need to do to prove that it's important and not just to the people around you you're proving it to yourself that it's important by saying no to things that you might have otherwise been occupied with and And giving time to something that you know might be a little bit more work, but you know at the same time it's it's so essential. So so that's step one. Know your faith. Now, step two is live your faith and teach the truth. So can you unpack that one a little bit for us?
1: Yeah. So um, God obviously did all the work of redemption. He was the one who came to earth. He was the one who taught for 33 years, 3, 33 years. He was the one who suffered, died, and rose from the dead for our sins, right? Uh, and, and so, but he still left us work to do because we're called to participate in that Paschal mystery, in the work of Christ. Well, how, well, how so? Remember, for example, when Jesus um, raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead, right? What of the the few places where he actually would record the Aramaic that, that he spoke, Talitakum, little girl arise. He raised the girl from the dead. But then what did he tell the people to do? Give her something to eat. So Jesus did his part, but he left work for, for us to do. Same thing with his friend Lazarus. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus came up, wrapped up like a mummy, and he told the people, unbind him. So Christ did the work but he left work for us to do, but that's the best part. Christ does the heavy lifting. Christ lifted up the cross. Christ was nailed to that cross and, and was crucified and died on that cross for us. You know, so we don't have to do the hard work, but we still have to participate um, in, in that, in that mystery of Christ. So, so here's, here's the key. Um, Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. And he talks about how the farmer was out there throwing seeds on the land and some seeds landed on rocky soil, some landed on thorny soil, some landed, uh, the, the, it started to grow and the weeds choked it, some birds came and ate some, and some landed on good soil. Where the seed lands is not our concern. Right? Our, our job is to go out there and throw seeds of faith. And when that seed lands on that hard, on that on that person's heart, no matter what state that heart may be, in, may be good. It may be a good heart. It may be receptive to the seed, but it may be a hard heart that needs a little tilling of the soil. Right? So, so uh, Paul says that I seeded Apollos, which is one of his helpers, watered, but God gave the yield. Right? So, so it's the Lord that has to do the tilling of the soil and give it fertilizer and sunlight and allow the seed of faith to grow in that person's heart. We can't do that. Only God can do that. We have to be faithful and throw the seeds, which is where evangelization comes in. Because when we're living a Eucharistic faith, when we leave that church and actually, you know, live a faith of word and sacrament, where we become Eucharist to others, we will recognize opportunities to throw those seeds. You know, God may open a door of opportunity just a little bit, maybe just a crack in the door. When we recognize, because we're living a Eucharistic faith, we'll recognize that opportunity, our job is to stick the foot in that door, throw some seeds and get out, right? Get out of the Holy Spirit's way and let God be God. I think that's for so a it's lot of very people... simple. We, we, we can't, we, we don't want to make this too messy and too difficult by yeah. thinking I can convert someone. No, we can't. That's, that's not our job. The Holy I, Spirit converts minds and hearts.
0: And I think that's where a lot of people fall down. They feel like if, if they haven't got that person over the line that they failed and, That's not the point. The point is to plant the seed, to share what it is you have and let the Holy spirit do the rest.
1: That's exactly right. And, uh, and that's the key. You you throw some seeds and boom, you get out. That's it. You don't, well, if I use this devastating argument for St. Thomas Aquinas, if I could just explain the catechism section 2349, no, you don't have to do that. It's just, it may be simple as just answering a person's question or, even asking a question that they have a difficult time answering. For, I'll give you just one quick example, Mark. Oh. I, I was an atheist uh, in a grocery, I was shopping in a grocery store and the atheist came up to me and he said, you can't even prove to me that God exists. So one of the examples I said was, okay. Um, uh, I, I put my phone up on the, uh, on the, on the shelf of the, of the store in the grocery store. And I said, is my phone moving? Yes or no? he said yes the phone is moving because the earth is spinning i said okay um relative to the rotation of the earth is the phone moving no so in order for that phone to move what has to happen you have to apply a force to the phone right so so i have to pick up the phone and knock the phone over fine because an object that is at rest will continue to remain at rest unless impelled by a force so then i said oh do we have uh, objects in the universe that are moving Yes, the sun, the moon, the stars, they're all moving, light, sound, meteorites, comets. And I, and I said, you agree with me that things don't move unless impelled by a force. So what caused all the movement in the first place? And he said, the Big Bang. I said, great, because that was a theory developed by a Catholic priest, right? And, and I said, so what caused the Big Bang? See, now you have to stop and think. Yes. So that's the seed. The question is the seed. Because now that person has to go back and think, you know, because if they don't believe in God, but things don't create themselves, things don't just come out of nowhere. Motion starts with something, puts something else into motion. So what, okay, a big bang. Okay. Then what caused the bang? Huh, huh, well, yeah, I guess bangs don't happen out of nowhere. You see? So now they have to go back and wrestle with that. Your job is done. You're not, your job is not to continue to convince them. You get, you planted that seed. Now the seed of faith has to grow in their heart. I think a lot of the time
0: as Catholics as well, we feel like we're always on the defense. Like we have to defend our position, but by asking people questions and basically forcing them to defend their position, to to explain, uh, to be an apologist for their position, if nothing else, it, it gets them thinking. Now, they might not there in front of you admit, hey, you, you've got me there. They might not do that, but at least they're thinking. That's the planting the seed and then leaving it. If you If you come on too strong at that point, Whatever door you've opened, whatever seed you've thrown, that's all going to be a waste if you come on too strong, won't it? Because you're then just pushing them away rather than slowly enticing them.
1: Right. And so you, you, know, you may win the argument, but now you've lost the person because sure. <laughs> the person's no closer sure. in their relationship with Christ than they, than they were when you started. Yeah. You see? And see, when, when people yell and scream at me, um, I hear two things. Either I'm lost, show me the way or i'm confused or i'm hurting please help me sure that's what i hear when somebody yells at me like you know like indulgences you know um you know that's when they they, they sold all those indulgences so wait a minute the church never sold indulgences no the church never sold no nope, the church never sold indulgences um you know uh, but yeah everyone knows well no everyone knows it's not good enough if you if you say the church sold indulgences give me some evidence show me some proof that the church actually did that you know because i'm telling you that they didn't you know, oh, okay. Now I have to go back and think. You see, so just pushing back a little bit um, with the truth, right? Because we like, said, you know, teach the truth, because the truth, Jesus, says, will set you free. Set you free to do what? To become the person who God created you to be. That's what truth is designed to do. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. Now, that that just reminds me of, of uh, something I saw on television years ago, and and being able to defend the position, defend the claim that you're making. I remember an interview. Um, Margaret Thatcher, the then Prime Minister of of England, was was there and with an Australian um, journalist, George Negus, and he was trying to sort of stir up, trying to rile her a little bit. And he he, he raised the the point that he said something to the effect of, now you know that there are people out there that think you're really pig-headed. And she stopped him before he could even finish the point he was trying to make. And she said, tell me who and where someone said that. And he said, you know, people, you know, people out there, they think you're rich." And he was just trying to rile her up, but she called him out on it. She said, look, stand by what you say. Don't just hide behind that people think or people say. And it was a really awkward interaction. But I think it was a good example of don't say something unless you can back it up. In that instance, he was obviously just trying to stir her. He couldn't defend what he was saying. And he wasn't going to throw anyone on the bus and say, this person said that. And she did a beautiful job of calling him out on it. And I think that's a good example of, yeah, make sure that you can defend what you're saying. And if you can't defend it, well, then you need to rethink what it is you're saying.
1: Exactly. No, exactly right. So we we don't have to be intimidated. I think people are intimidated, Mark, because they don't know their faith. Yes. And so they become intimidated. But again, the more you learn, the more you, that's what I found out. Even today, Mark, I mean, the more I learn about the faith, the more I realize how much I don't know.
0: Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) now now something something's a really difficult um, area here to cover or a difficult um field to evangelize are your own family members that that's, that's often the hardest i mean you can you can have a conversation with someone that you happen to, to cross paths with but if it's a family member it's, it's a whole different interaction. It's a whole different relationship which you obviously have to try to protect in the discussion so what are some of the best ways to do this directly with family members and to evangelize a family member that has either fallen away from the church or was never really engaged in the first place?
1: Well, there's basically six steps, right? Which I, which I borrow from Stephen Ray, right? Because I think, because these, they're actually, they work and they're, they're very simple. So first of all, don't argue with them, right? I mean, they already know how you feel, you know, and so just going back and forth, arguing with them, trying to give them catechisms, but they don't want to receive it. Like, I try to give them this DVD. I try to give them this CD. I try to give them the listen to this YouTube video. See, but they're not ready yet. Why? They don't know Jesus Christ. If they don't know Jesus, they don't care who Scott Hahn or Robert Haddad or, or Deacon Harold or whoever. They don't care because they don't know Jesus. They need to know Jesus first. Right then, they'll be more open to, re- to hearing other stuff. So don't argue with them because it, it just doesn't work. Second of all, love them more than ever before. Why? Because often children will feel like because I'm not living my faith like my parents did, or I'm not doing you know uh, what I learned in Catholic school. I'm not going to church. Th- my parents don't don't like me, or they don't love me as much anymore. No, we see it's Catholics make a distinction. We love everyone. While we always don't love their actions and we judge actions, we never judge people. That's the principle. So yes, we will love our children unconditionally. Whether they decide to go to church or not, we will still love them. But we don't have to love or approve of their actions and their decisions. But we still love them. See, that's that's a, a big problem in our culture today, Mark, because people say my actions identify who I am right? Uh, how I choose to live defines who I am. No, that doesn't define who you are. A deep intimate relationship with Jesus Christ defines who you are, not your, not some action or some, no, that's not it at all. You know, so, so we love them, even though we don't love their actions. So as long as we can focus on that, again, by loving them, you're not saying you approve of their actions, that, you know, you still disagree with them not going to church, but you still love them with the love of Christ. Sure. right um the next one is prayer and fasting everyone prays for their child to come back to the church but we always forget about that fasting piece right when jesus set the 72 out uh they they said we could do all this great stuff but there are some these de- demons we couldn't cast out what happened and jesus said oh yes those kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting yeah we forget the fasting piece because fasting why Fasting empties us because when we're missing that food or when we're missing that, uh, like for example, you fast from a television show that you love watching. You fast from your favorite television show. It feels like there's, there's an emptiness and a longing and something's missing in your life. And you even feel it, like you feel the hunger pangs or you feel your heart. God, I want to be watching that show or that, or that sports event right now. But you're, you're fasting because what you're really desiring and hungering for is a deep relationship with Jesus. And that's what fasting is designed to remind you of. So when you combine your prayer with your fasting, that is a powerful combination, um, working together um, uh, as a way of um, uniting your, your body and your spirit <laughs> as, as one in, in your request, uh, prayer request before the Lord and intercession to, to have your child come back to the church. You know, the next one is show the joy of the Lord. Just why can't we be happy to be Catholic? You know, I mean, this, this spirit-filled joy that says, man, you belong to a church of child molesters? Well, gosh, I mean, you know, not everybody. I mean, a very small pretension, but the same thing is true of teachers also. I, yeah, I, I love the church, but I don't have to love all the—we're the the, 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 the we're all sinners in the church as well, you know? Um, I, I dare you to find a church that doesn't have sinners in it. You know, I'm not going to leave the whole church because a few people uh, make actions and decisions that are against what the church actually teaches. The church is to teach what they were doing. So I choose to follow the teaching, not the people. (laughs) Right. Simple. And show some joy. Again, we already talked about the next one, Mark. uh, Study the Catholic faith. Right. Know your faith. And then finally, pray that someone else brings um, someone else. uh, God brings someone else into their life besides you. Because often as parents, we're a little too close to them. Sure. And so if we, if, we, um, uh, if we ask God to bring someone else in, they're hearing the message from another perspective, from another angle. Um, and they'll hear it different. It may be the same message, but now they're hearing it different. It's hitting their heart differently. They're accepting it differently. Uh, and the more they can get the faith from these different perspectives, different angles, I think the more be able to penetrate their hearts.
0: I think that last one's actually really key. And, and it's not even finding someone else other than you that, that you introduce them to, because then you're kind of forcing that a little bit. It's pray that that God brings someone else into their life, independent of what you're trying to say or, or present to them, but backing up your side of the story from a different perspective. So yeah, I, I actually like that last one because it's not one that people would consider necessarily too often, but I think that really is, very important like ask god to send in the troops but but let him do it don't look like you're forcing it so yeah, i really like that last one um so basically yeah we, we can't be afraid to share the faith is, is the bottom line in all this we're, we're called to preach the gospel in all its fullness and not just the parts that we like either like a, a lot of people sort of pick and choose it this bit's good but yeah don't worry too much about that part of it no no the faith in its fullness you have to preach the faith in its fullness and not be afraid if we're persecuted for doing so because and every time we do this, this can be an avenue for healing for other people as well. What, what we're actually trying to do, it can be healing for us, but it can be healing for that person, the, the effort that we, that we make to, to share the faith. So, yeah, it's, I think it's some really good advice there. And, and thanks to Steve Ray for those tips that you're sharing as well. Um, now, so step one, as we said, know the faith. Step two, live your faith and teach the truth. Step three, back to your steps, uh, is humility. Tell us a bit about humility.
1: Yeah. So humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I love it. Yes. <laughs> right. That, that, that's what true humility is. And this is something that St. Benedict stresses in his rule quite a bit. Um, you know, humility is, is, is recognizing the fact that it's not all about you. Right. It, it, it's, it's, it's that beautiful gift of self It's when you give yourself away in love is when you truly find yourself in God right and, and that's what true humility is all about so in transmitting the faith we have to be humble we have to recognize that for example we're talking to someone that may have been hurt by the church you know the reason why they're away is they they were hurt by the, A priest said something to them um in confession that wasn't correct um they may have been uh, they've been um uh, made fun of when they were in catholic school because their family was poor and you know the nuns didn't do anything about it. whatever you want to. I mean, for whatever reason they're they're away, but uh, but humility means just often listening instead of trying to engage them and and try to convince them. Just listen, right? Just just take yourself out of the equation and just listen to what they're saying, hear their pain, understand the perspective where they're coming from. And, and, and try to make a, 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 a sympathetic connection with them and, or empathize with them. You know, wow, I've never gone through something like that. But I remember a time when I was going through something difficult, you know, um, and I called on the Lord. Because remember, it's the person may be reacting. You know, I'll show God, you know, my, my wife was killed in a car accident or I lost my husband in cancer. I'll show God, I'll stop praying. I'll stop going to church. I'll get even with him. Right. Because <laughs> something like that, there's no one to blame. Right. And the yeah. person's mind is no one to blame, but God. Yeah. So they may be angry at God. Right. So just li- let them be angry. Just listening to them, I, I think is, a, is a, a beautiful way to exercise that humility. Right. And, and to recognize, okay, I, I, my role right now is not to be an apologist, is not to try to defend or try to convince them why they need to come back to the church. My job right now is just to listen, you know? And I think that's a, I think one of the most effective ways we can evangelize really is is in humility, listening to the person's story, listening to the person's heart, empathizing and making a connection with them as one step in a process of helping the person rediscover their love for Christ, which has never left God's never left them. It may feel that God is not there in their life, but he is always there and he is always with them, you know, and that's something sometimes we have to remind them of.
0: Absolutely. So that's step three, humility. Moving on to step four, then engage in corporal works of mercy. Can you unpack that one a little for us?
1: Yeah. So um, I I alluded about this before corporal works of mercy. Um, One of the ways we can effectively evangelize is to witness to our faith. So Again, the the homeless person that was caught out in the rain and you um, give them your raincoat and give them something to eat and and something warm to drink. You know, those are the corporal works of mercy that we're talking about. Um, I I give you a good example, Mark. Um, A a guy uh, lost his job and he came to the parish and I happened to be at the parish at the time. And uh, he came in and he was angry and he was like, I've been with this job for over 10 years and now they decided to cut back and I lost my job. And he was just angry, just venting. So I listened to him and I said, you know what? He goes, what can I do? I said, you know, and I, you know, he's doing all the things. He's getting his resume together. I said, how about this? Go down to the homeless shelter and serve and serve homeless people. He said, what? I said, look, you lost your job. But you're not living on the street, are you? No. You're going to have dinner tonight, aren't you? Yes. Well, how about going down there and see, and you're in this situation right now, but how about serving people that are worse off than you are? How about that? He, and he thought, well, oh, okay, I guess I can't. I mean, keep doing your resume. Keep finding another job. But in the meantime, go help somebody. And so he went down to the homeless shelter. And he, and he, at first he was like, you know, ah, sure. but then, you know, he went the next week and the week after that. And, and he was, and he recognized and he looked around, he goes, wow, at least I still have a roof over my head. He recognized that. Wow. Even though I don't have a job, you know, I'm not homeless. And He was more thankful for what he had. And the interesting thing was he was there one day serving food. He just struck up a conversation with someone and it happened to be, the CEO of this company. And when he told me the situation, he hired him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the guy, the guy got a job by going to the homeless. See? And so yeah. that's how God works, though. You see, when, when you do these selfless acts, um, uh, these beautiful gifts, look at St. Teresa of Calcutta. I just saw a movie recently called Letters, one of the best movie. I, I think it's the best movie I've ever seen. About, it's definitely the best movie about Mother. Teresa I've ever seen. But to me, it's also one of the best Catholic movies I've ever seen. And the woman who plays St. Teresa of Calcutta was I mean, I literally felt that I was watching the actual Mother Teresa. When I saw that movie, it was phenomenal. But just to see those little acts of love and charity and mercy when no one else cared about these people. And here's this Albanian nun. Who, and first the movie shows how she was rejected by the people because she wasn't Indian you don't, you're you just trying to proselytize and, and turn all of our people Catholic you, you don't care about us and so she moved into the slums to live with them it was, oh, it was beautiful um, those again and those little works of mercy you know and God glorified that you know and she got the Nobel Prize but that's not why she did it she did it for love of Jesus and that is a powerful evangelization tool, especially if your parents doing that for your, for your children, mm-hmm. you know, especially during the holiday seasons, which is, you know, by the way, really means the holy day seasons that holiday is actually, um, a, a transliteration for holy days. But anyway, uh, for the holiday season going around and, and to a, a homeless shelter or to a soup kitchen or, you know, uh, pa- helping to package up, um, they have giving trees in the, in, in the States where they have these cards and, and the family takes a card, they get a gift for a, a poor child or a child that's to the hospital, or something like that. And having the kids see that and participate in that so that the children recognize this is what our faith is about. It's not just words. It's putting our faith into action, especially for those who are less fortunate than we are.
0: And I love that you brought up mother Teresa in that instance, but, but we have so many, I mean, we're going through your roadmap here as to to different ways you can evangelize. But I think a key thing is to learn the lives of the saints, because you can't say that a saint was canonized because he had that many apologetical arguments and won that many souls over because of his mind blowingly good arguments. Like, they, they are canonized, they are recognized for the lives that they led. Sometimes they didn't lead holy lives right the way through, but for the conversion and the life that they led following that conversion. But the lives of the saints are such a powerful roadmap in and of
1: themselves, aren't they? No, absolutely. Um, and, and, and in fact, look, look what happened to um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, who, was, who had his leg was injured severely in a battle. And so he was laid up at, at his, his home in Loyola and he was reading the lives of the saints and the lives of the saints literally is what one of the impetus that led him uh to to leave everything behind and um uh will become an itinerant kind of you know beggar but then eventually started the uh uh the uh jesuits right mm-hmm. the uh, uh, it was a phenomenal story but it was the lives of the saints and, and you know that that's actually a good point mark because Think about today in today's modern landscape. Everyone's looking for heroes in those Marvel movies, right? Those superhero movies that are very, very popular these days now. You sure. know, um, everybody wants to root for the hero. But our saints are the real heroes, if you will, right? Because superheroes are make-believe. Saints are real. And I'm not just talking about the, the miracles that they did and, and like the bilocation location about how they live their life, right? Mm-hmm. In just the simple, everyday ways that they, that they gave themselves completely to the Lord, um, that they witnessed to the power of God's love. And, and even saints like um, St. Saint Therese of Les Sue's parents, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, um, uh, who, in their married love, uh, are, are saints. Um, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful how Um, because saints come out of what they come out of families right and so the more we can look at those lives of the saints and be inspired by them and draw strength from encourage from them and say wow and ask for their intercession uh, I think is a powerful witness to evangelization as well and that's a great
0: segue talking about the fact that saints come from families that's a great segue to step number five of of your your roadmap here step number five is become the domestic church
1: yes the domestic church means the church of the home right because that's the place where you first learn to fall in love with jesus you know that's very important because if we look at the ten commandments right the um literally in hebrew the Aseret hadibrot or the ten words of god literally the, actually the word commandment is not there in the hebrew it, it literally is because um mitzvah is the word for commandments but if you look in hebrew it says the aset it literally the ten words of God. Number four, honor your mother and father is a hinge. Well, because you have the you know, you have love God, the first three, and love your neighbor as yourself, yes, which is five through ten. But then number four is both sure. because it's the only one that has a promise attached to it, right? So all the other commandments just list them, but number four. He says, honor your mother and father, so that you may have life. Right, that is, so there's a promise attached to it. So it, it, it's, the, it's the commandment that bridges love God and love neighbors yourself. That it, so that is contained, in, in both of those are contained in, in that one commandment. So God is trying to tell us something very important about family life. And that's the place where we learn about Jesus and we fall in love with Jesus that's what's supposed to be happening in the home. Uh, the home is not supposed to be a monastery, okay? I mean, <laughs> you don't pray you know, five times a day or whatever, seven times a day like monks or nuns do. That's not the point. Um, but the point is you have to create an atmosphere in that home where everyone recognizes that, uh, that God is first and foremost in our life, that all of our relationships flow from our relationship with almighty God. Right. And that relationship is reflecting the way a husband treats his wife and the way that parents deal with their children and children show the respect. They're supposed to fear their parents, but the word Yare in Hebrew means honor, reverence, and respect. Right. So that's the fear. It's a filial fear. And that's the same fear that we're supposed to have as children of God. We're supposed to fear the Lord, right? The book of wisdom says, the, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The, the honor and reverence, respect for the Lord. And so parents will show that to their children. And Jesus modeled this for us. Remember, after the finding in the temple, what does it say? Jesus was obedient sure. to them, to Joseph and Mary. Obedire means to listen with the heart. So you just didn't hear words coming out of their mouth. They actually listened with their hearts, which is, which is an absolutely beautiful thing. And so, if so, I I tell kids this all the time. If it was good enough for Jesus, then you should be able to do the same thing in following Jesus' example.
0: Beautiful. And I can confirm that you, you say our our home should be like a monastery. I always picture a monastery to a quiet, prayerful, holy place. And with seven <laughs> kids and one on the way, I can tell you that's not what our home is. But I can see what you, I can see what you're saying about getting to to that point. So yeah. Now, beautiful. So that that was step number five, become the domestic church. So so just to review, step one, know your faith. Step two, live your faith and teach the truth. Step three, humility. Step four, engage in corporal works of mercy. And step five, become the domestic church. So that's Deacon Harold's roadmap to evangelizing. So Deacon, where to from here?
1: All right. Well, now it's, it's one thing to have all the tools, Now it's time to put those into action, right? Uh, And so now, uh, and again, we're going to be confronted with a a culture that does not like what we're trying to do, right? Um, uh, We will be persecuted. We'll be made fun of. we We will be scorned and mocked. But same thing happened to Jesus, right? Jesus says, if you are to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Where are we following him to? Eternal life right? Life within forever in heaven. So we have to expect that this culture is going to push against us. And you know, what's our job is not necessarily to push, but to push back, but to always stay true to who we are, stay true to our faith and stay true to the, to the people that God created us to be. Jesus says, we must pick up our cross and follow him because he's leading us to to eternal life. And God has our back. So don't worry about what people are going to think about you, don't worry about any of that. Just worry about being faithful to to and and and, um, and loving in your approach to how you witness to the power of Christ in, in your life, so so that you can be actually a vehicle of Christ's love to someone else.
0: Beautiful, Deacon Harold. Thank you so much for your wisdom and for your your fervor of your faith and and your willingness to share with us in this podcast I'm really looking forward to to this series of podcasts with you delving into the different ways we can share our faith in the world and yeah I I can't wait the next the next episode is going to be about family life so we're really going to dig down into that that domestic church and 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 learn a bit about the, the structure of family life and and maybe look a little bit about the holy family and the the model that the holy family can be for us in our family lives as well. So, so thank you very much for your time today. And I'm looking forward to being with you in the next episode.
1: Thank you, Marcus. Great to be with you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And now just for for anyone who's listening out there, if you've enjoyed this episode, um, please do subscribe to this podcast in your in your favourite podcast app and, and share the links with your family and friends. And also, if you could, leave a few kind words of review in, in the reviews in these apps that helps this podcast to be seen by others. And, and we look forward to, to growing this podcast and, and sharing a lot with you in the episodes ahead. For more information about what Deacon Harold is doing, you can visit him at his website, deaconharold.com. And for more information about Perusia, you can visit perusia.media.com. Thank you so much for listening today. We look forward to joining you in the episodes ahead on Speaking with Deacon. My name is Mark Griffin.
1: God bless you.